result so far from the beginning of the winter's retreat and <clears throat> this uh, perception of uh, community retreat, two-week community retreat. Then the, what you what that just to encourage this sense of reflecting on how these uh, perceptions affect consciousness. And we can quibble about sometimes people don't even like the word retreat or formal or things, anything that conveys a, a, you know sense of force or willfulness or control. But uh, more important is not to try to essay everything in a political, politically correct way so that nobody in the community is ever offended by anything or feeling threatened, but to observe the, the way things affect us. And not in a critical way, not to assume there's a right way and a wrong way to receive perceptions as the way the way they affect consciousness. As words are powerful in the the kind of uh, tone of voice. say somebody was very offended because people would ask them to do things without saying please and things like that. <laughs> this is more important than than uh, is to just see how that that affects you. a peremptory style or a commanding uh, ordering style or a, you know, or someone who's desperately trying to not offend anybody. Political correctness so that nobody's feelings are ever challenged, offended, or upset in any way. <clears throat> or they're just a way that people talk can be quite heedless and, and, uh, People can say things that are quite offensive without any intention of offending. But the important uh, thing is to, you know, for liberation, not trying to straighten all that out and have just a politically correct community where everybody is so careful and so skillful in everything they say and do that, that any chance of being offended is diminished and we become too precious. We, we, when we go outside the monastery, we just fall apart when somebody <laughs> doesn't exactly say things in the way that we're, that is correct according to our own style. But what you can, the liberation is through awareness of the way it is, not through control or uh, trying to refine, make everything perfect.
Then we've used the words like conviviality and noble silence together. It's been interesting to hear people's, uh, how they've been working with that because uh, noble silence usually for most most people who have been on meditation retreats means, uh, you know, no talking unless, you know, uh, some absolute necessity. And so you build up these walls of, you know, don't speak to me, don't talk to me. Uh, And then feel very annoyed when people do or when you see others talking or chatting. So like noble silence, if we just grasp the idea of it and have this very rigid view, then it it, uh, creates a lot of suffering for oneself. Well, it's not meant to create suffering. You know, it's not not something that is imposed on you uh, to uh, make life uh, more problematical, but to encourage an attitude, solitude, looking inward, rather than seeking distraction outwardly all the time. That's how we hold these things, isn't it? We can hold it in a very, you know, shut up and don't talk. And anyone who talks is breaking a noble silence, and that's bad. And they should they should be somehow set straight, chastised, scolded, admonished, uh, because they're just disruptive in the community, and they disrupt me when they talk too loud or they speak and chat, and they don't. Respect noble thought, and then we're building a whole realm of of uh, resentment, anger, with something quite with a perception that's basically very beautiful, noble and silent. Both are, you know, words that convey that's elegant, isn't it? It's it's beautiful. Noble silence is not this mean-hearted, shut up and don't talk. Mm. And then uh, adding conviviality to that is a word that, <laughs> that we've never used in our community till very recently. <laughs> so uh, this sense of well-being, and enjoying, delighting, and and uh, friendship, build this sense of of enjoying each other, welcoming each other, uh, enjoying the life of monasticism, the life to be enjoyed, to be loved, to be treasured, rather than seen as a dour discipline to control your sex drive and and, uh, make you, you know, keep you under all kinds of pressures to conform and obey and the sense of oppression or discipline or control is oftentimes how one can easily see monasticism. 
So these are just radical kind of new ways of looking at something, but it, it's learning how to, you can see things from different perspectives. You know, we've got the, the jitta is malleable. I mean, it's not just a fixed view that is right. And it's, but they, one can look at things from many different angles. We can look at in our life as disciplined, as uh, renunciate, uh, words that convey, you know, give, give one, one perspective on it. Convivial, noble. We can see solitude, the word solitude as going off, living alone, shutting the door, uh, plugging up your ears, refusing to have anything to do with anybody. Uh, or solitude also as the Ditta Viveka or Ubati Viveka. So this, this word Viveka conveys this sense of, of, uh, inner solitude. Gaya Viveka, Jitta Viveka, Ubati Viveka. And all we, we need to, to do is just observe the way how, you know, because we get so conditioned to, to see these uh, words in a certain way. Solitude means this. Noble silence means this. Our life is a renunciate life. Strict with Vinaya, keeping the rules, surrendering to the form. That's one way of looking. And it's not that it's wrong or or right, but that that's an angle one can look at it from rather than uh, the kind of uh, absolute right attitude that describes the the reason for our existence here. Or just taking perspective of conviviality, kalyanamita. noble friendships, um, delight in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, in the community, uh, a sense of rejoicing, just taking words like that, very positive uh, words, as a way of looking at our life. So some of the times the way the Theravada comes across is you shouldn't delight in anything. And delight means you've, you've lost your mindfulness. It's given into <laughs> because we've got a kind of heavy, uh, heavy interpretation, and yet uh, that how it's oftentimes interpreted. Let's say even the interpretations or the, the orthodox. Teachings, they're, they're not meant to be uh, just, you know, absolute standards of righteousness. That's one way of looking. And then this awareness, uh, this sati sampatanya, is, uh, is the encouragement to wake up to reality the way it is. How to make them, how to gladden the heart 
it's like in the in the uh, developing the uh, seven factors of enlightenment. Joy is one, you know, the sense of joyfulness, gladdening the heart, the factor of enlightenment. Joy can be as a delight in being, isn't it? It's it's uh, the, the something that that leads on to enlightenment the factor of enlightenment or we can have the old sourpuss view shouldn't delight in anything all this suffering uh, you're going to die anyway everything ends up in death and decay don't attach to anything <clears throat> and that if one holds to that view that's rather depressing I find that depressing as a view as a reflection it's a good reflection but as a view to grasp it's it, it takes me to kind of what's the point you know kind of sourpuss style so this uh, you know this, it, what kind of character do you have you know what what is the, the you know each of us are different so we have gravitate to one maybe we, we like the old dour sourpuss approach I mean, because we are that way anyway <laughs> and others are all love and light and eternal life and and full of uh, positive views and perceptions But then this Sati Sampachanya, just knowing it's like this, this sense of awakening, not and embracing this, the, the consciousness can hold both extremes. You know, it doesn't, it isn't selective or have preferences. Now, some, I, I, most of you seem to get this reflective teaching now. Some, I gather, don't. They don't know how to observe, how to open to the way it is. 
they just get entangled in their own uh, thoughts or moods. So if that's the case, then it's establishing, you know, being, being uh, <coughs> using the, the sound of silence, the breath, the posture as focuses in the present. And the, the, the whole aim is this awakened attention in the present. learning to trust in being aware, awake, with, uh, with the way it is. So like the condition, the body, physical body is like this. The breath is like this. Sound of silence is like this. These are the three uh, things that I use for establishing awareness. First, I mean, I used to start with the breath, or the posture and the breath, and then the sound of silence. Now, sound of silence for me is so powerful that I just establish it with that. And from there, I can, you know, I have perspective to just, uh, if I want to look at the body or you know, the sweeping, that sweeping the sensations through the the body is a very good way. If you want to do something, want something to do while you're sitting, something really worthwhile doing is to do the sweeping practice, the sensations of the body, concentrating on the, the kind of noticing and, and observing pleasure, pain, neutral sensation as you start from, say, the top of the head down to the soles of the feet and back up to the top of the head. uh, Doing that will bring enormous benefits. Relaxing, it's healthy. It brings uh, rapture, physical sense of well-being, PT, So sometimes uh, they nothing to do, nowhere to go. Just be aware. Is uh, that's true, but then there's still, you know, a lot of restless energy in our human condition. So it needs to do something. Well, one thing that's in kind of formal situations is very worthwhile doing is this uh, sweeping practice. Or anapanasati. Sound of silence is, uh, we grasp the, you know, notice the difference between the reality of it and then the way we might grasp some view about it. This is like like really trusting in uh, the direct awareness, rather than than having a view. Even though we we can notice this sound of silence, we can we can form a view about it. So learning to not have any view, it is what it is.
then, then, then one, of course, can see that sometimes that question we want to have, we want to know, well, you know, more about it or more have confirmation that it's, that it's useful or we have doubts or we don't like it or whatever, but that, that's reflected in that. The way, way we emotionally react. Being peaceful, too peaceful, can be very boring. And so you notice, like, like the, as you move towards peace, stillness, oftentimes then there's tremendous reaction, restless reactions. And even though you might, you might, you know, part of you really loves peacefulness and the idea of being just being content and peaceful might be very uh, appealing. The realities of it, uh, one can find, you know, as we, you know, we once we taste it, then it seems like oftentimes very re- restless. We get increasingly more restless around it. <clears throat> So then, in this uh, way, in this noticing this, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with being restless or not wrong with you, but just observing the, as you, I mean, this is speaking for myself, I don't feel I can speak for others, but the, the uh, movement towards stillness, a tremendous uh, restlessness, physical, emotional restlessness would come. So then it's uh, like this uh, cultivating pawana, well, not to not to fight the restlessness or to try to control it, you know, because that's just that's not that's not the path. It's not to get rid of it and to make it go away and suppress it. But as you, you know, developing the path, the awareness of it, and and developing more patience, willingness to allow restlessness to be the way it is rather than just get caught into it or just trying to resist it. So the attitude is is this open, welcoming, embracing, rather than getting rid of the fetters, trying to get rid of your defilements or or cut off the fetters. So this is uh, for me. It's been a, a, a gradual attrition while there. This restlessness is, you know, as you as are aware of it, and don't make a problem about it. Don't make uh, sitting for hours my cause celeb, the reason for my practice to kind of fight off the restlessness, but uh, trusting more in the awareness in increment rather than, you know, fighting it and trying to to uh, you know make it go away so in uh, 
upon just the, the attitude of just even if I spend the whole day being heedless, you know, getting caught up in my thoughts and emotions and activities, and then just something one one moment of awareness. You know, if I get, if I could get, if I should get caught up in all kinds of things, lose it totally, and then, and suddenly this moment of where I found a silence, and just even sustaining that, kind of bathing in that, just for count of two, three, four, five, or whatever. You know? And then. And, and allowing that to not to rather, seeing that as something really wonderful, rather than than beating yourself up because the whole day you've been really foolish, heedless, and and said things you shouldn't have done, and broke some of the precepts, and and uh, upset everybody, and, <laughs> and you, can, you know, then you can uh, spend the whole the rest of the day and night feeling guilty and self-hatred and, and, and still be caught in the, you know, you just still endless process of being heedless carries on. So this is why this sense of rejoicing, treasuring, valuing this moment of awareness without, you know, saying, I want it, I should have it all the time and then, and then you're lost again in trying to, you know, form some idea that You've got to become more aware, and you shouldn't be so heedless. And, get, and that once you're lost into that view again, it's uh, <clears throat> you know you you suffer from that. You can never be as good and perfect as you imagine you should be. Now, it's humbling too. This sense of humility simplicity or beginner's mind uh, we used to use Suzuki Roshi's book a lot in Wat Nana Chat when I was the abbot there I used to read that then mind beginner's mind because it that's a very I found a useful perception of beginner's mind starting you know beginner rather than the expert after 36 years of monastic life uh, Ajahn Sumato you you must be a, a Dharma master, a meditation master. I get called these exalted titles. Dzogchen master in the United States. I don't even know what Dzogchen is really, but I'm a master of it. In India I was given the title Mahayogi, Ocean of Wisdom. I mean, these are superlatives. You know, this is. So, I mean, these are titles and that, that people give, but then the beginner's mind say, what have you learned? What have you attained and achieved after 36 years in, as a Buddhist monk? Nothing. And then some of you are going, oh, well, that's depressing, you know. That's really depressing. 
you know, that old guy, you know, devoted his life to the Dhamma and at the end of his life got nothing out of it. But then this is, but this nothing, because the life is what my, my purpose, the reason for living this life is, is this letting go, being free from the burden of a self, of a boring personality. Of, of dreary emotional reactions that just repeat themselves endlessly in the same old way. You know, the age 30, just so fed up with myself because the, the, the conditioning process was pretty dreary. Wasn't my purpose for living this life has never been to to become you know like a mahayogi or a great master or anything like that that's not ever been my my uh, the thing that I've lived this life for they don't that doesn't mean anything to me but the uh, beginner's mind is learning to trust in this simplicity learning to relax, trust. Let go of everything. So if, if, if letting go and Having achieved and attained nothing is an attainment. And this is the problem with language, isn't it? Is, have I achieved this? Have I attained nothingness? And then we put it into, into that way of thinking again. You know, it's not an attainment, is it? It's not, you don't achieve and attain. It's an imminent act of trust, of you know, they use these images like jumping into the abyss, jumping off the hundred-foot pole. They're quite frightening, throwing yourself into a dark void of nothingness. You know, to the personality, emotional conditioning, that's t- those are terrifying images. Isn't it terrifying? Isn't it? Jumping into an abyss. Mm. Like suicide is madness. It's real, really foolishness. According to the common sense material world that we live in. Achieve success. Become a successful monk or nun, you know. Get a name for yourself. You know, spread the Dhamma. So that, that we can live the monastic life in the same worldly attitude of achieving and attaining, becoming, and, and with even very good ideals as the goal to, to help all sentient beings, to bring the true Buddha Dhamma to Europe, 
to establish training centers, meditation centers, and help many people. These are are quite altruistic goals. And it's not that this doesn't happen. This is all happens. You know, the monasteries here in England and other places are, they happen, you know, rather than some kind of great plan that I had and that I followed and made manifest through achievements and attainments. The, the main, you know, the practice of non-attachment, letting go, trusting, sada, sada is faith. So that the beginner's mind comes back to the beginning, isn't it? Now, the beginning. Where's the expert? Where's the Dzogchen master? Don't see anything. <laughs> if there's a sound of silence, then the, the body is sitting. And feel the pressure of sitting on this seat. This is the, I just wear the kind of energetic feelings in my around my knees and upper legs and then just suddenly where my where my hands and wrists are and so forth just being with that which is present the body as experienced now the breath Think of being really simple-minded rather than being clever. You know, like really simple-minded, like, oh, no. Inhalation. You know, the sense of appreciating just one inhalation rather than attaining jhana. Be be simple-minded, almost, you know, moronic. Where the the clever clever one, isn't it, wants to get the jhanas, you know, get the samadhi, get the insight, so that this is this desire for becoming is so strong. And it seems so right in many ways, you know, to try to get rid of defilements and attain um 
states of concentration. And that this is what, you know, you, you test this out for yourselves and you see, does, does the attaining side, does that work for you? What, and what is the result? You know? And what is the result of this attitude of embracing and letting go? This is a kind of contradiction in terms, isn't it? Embracing and letting go. <laughs> So in this practice, and like the more contentment, and as the, as this restlessness it wears out, you know, it's not like permanent condition. And uh, the more you you trust in the unconditioned, which you can't find, you can't get. You know, it's like nothing. That's why. You, you can't whereas the conditions are always something but not no thing or nothing you can't get it you can't. as a concept it can be depressing because emotionally you know one one's emotionally primed for achieving getting something improving making everything better and better, more and more, better and better, where that, of letting everything go, giving up, nothing left, can be, you know, like failure, terrible, frightening. Emotionally, it's very threatening to be nothing and nobody, isn't it? It's, this is, uh, can be quite terrifying. Because, uh, you know, we, the, the way we proliferate from that perception can be, you know, like, there's going to be nothing left. I'm just going to be, a nothing, you know. Why just here, to be a monk, is it to become nothing? 
And then that can be, you know, emotionally very frightening for us. And so this is where this, this, uh, you know, this is to be known individually by the wise when you let go of everything, what's left. When you're nothing, what's that like? And it's not attachment to a view, because attachment to a view of I'm nobody is depressing, can be depressing. It's not based on attachment to a view, it's the reality. of being nobody, of not being anything, of not having to become, not having to control, get rid of, achieve and attain anything. So we do have flashes and experiences of bliss and peace. When suddenly, we have those moments where you can really see this, know this. That it's bliss to be nothing, nobody. As soon as I become somebody, then the bliss is gone. That that gets into having, you know, all the triggers off, all the emotional habits, tendencies of a lifetime. My karma gets fed by that. sense of me and my self me and my and then that that figures off all my karmic patterns they'll go loopy and take over you know because when, when I become you know when I get involved with being myself as a person you know that I am, uh, you know, even to say, be yourself. Just learn to love yourself, be yourself. What is myself? Oh, and then we think of our personality or some abstraction like the soul, the unique, real tomato soul. But that's another view, isn't it? That's a, that's a creation of the mind. So then the, Reality of letting go of that, not being anybody, that's what I call bliss. And becoming somebody is dukkha for me. But then talking like this, one can get the idea that, you know, it's anti-personality or 
you know, with, 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 when we grasp this idea of, of nothing, of being nothing, then we can, just the grasp of that idea creates this sense that our personalities aren't worth anything, or our abilities, or our emotional life, or our character tendencies are somehow just completely bypassed for the deathless. Just ignore them and, and they'll go away. <laughs> and that's a way of grasping the idea of it. Isn't it? That, that uh, when you get, when you only think about practice, think about Dhamma, then you come up with conclusions like that. Is the thinking process is, is linear. You can't, you know, it's not intuitive. Thinking is not an intuitive function. So if you're just attached to thoughts and views, then, you know, you're dualistic, you're stuck, and you're kind of, there's this A to Z polarization. <clears throat> so, this is, uh, intuition is, is not thinking, embraces thinking. So, being nothing, being nobody, is not, I mean, that the personality doesn't operate. Uh, or that I'm just some kind of total, kind of bland, no, no personality, no character, just a kind of bland nothing, nobody sitting here. Like a Buddha Rupa in that. No matter what happens, you know, you start screaming, taking your clothes off, or throwing mud at the Buddha, he's still the same blissful state of perfect compassion and wisdom sitting there. <clears throat> so that might be if I could make myself into a bronze image. But uh, the way it is, is this nothing, nobody allows a personality to be what it is. When they say be yourself, it's not, you know, you're allowing your personality to be free, you know. You, can, you don't have to try to make yourself into some kind of super personality or dharma personality or a Buddha personality, some kind of, there's some kind of stereotype personality that you should mold yourself into uh, because your personality where you are is not you know there's something wrong with it it's got to fit into the mold of this Buddha Bodhisattva like personality that's another whole whole way of grasping the ideas of this isn't it the ideas of Buddhism Buddha Dhamma, holding to the views of it, the limitations of its uh, written form. <clears throat> so, nothing, being nobody, nothing, then allows the personality to be what it is. You don't have to try to make yourself into a saintly personality or a monk like monkish 
goody-good personality or a sweet little nun that smiles all the time and is always kind and terribly nice. Or you know that you can, whatever personality you have, let it go, let it be what it is. So it's in this way, it's liberation. It's not, you know, when you grasp the ideas of of an arhat, you know, the, what is an arhat? He doesn't smile. Has a Hasita smile. He can't show his teeth. So you get these images of the arhat sitting there, and somebody tells a joke, and he goes, "Tihi, tihi." <laughs> And I've known monks who read the scriptures and then they try to make themselves into act like arahants. So they get this British can do it probably better than the rest because they have stiff upper lip. You put your upper lip over your teeth. <laughs> and then then you refuse to, to laugh. A belly laugh is a sign you've really lost it. Man, you Forget it. You're, you're hopeless. You know, it becomes, you know, real laugh from the belly. But, tee hee, tee hee. <laughs> Very funny indeed. <laughs> or maybe Queen Elizabeth, you know, she says, I am not amused. <laughs> maybe she's misunderstood. Well, this is, this, this, you know, how we, we this is a grasping of these ideas. The, the scriptures are there, you know. They can be inspiring, or they can, they can be reflective. But the grasping of them is, is, you know, is not liberating. You're trying to make yourself into, to some kind of ideal. <clears throat> And you'll never be able to do it. You'll always, you know, you might act if you, you know, you can put on an act and make yourself look good, but then you can't sustain it. It's unsustainable. <clears throat> so in being nothing, nobody, then it's, and spontaneity operates. You know, there's, it's, uh, you know the, the conditioned realm can operate from nothing. It's not inhibited by all the, the kind of fears and controlling mechanisms that we, we, we create into the conditioned realm through our ignorance about it an identity with it. Because if you were so identified with being somebody, being a condition, being the five khandhas that we, you know, we, 
we, we, that very grasping and holding of the conditions, uh, then we, you know, we're, we get into manipulation, into fear control, into division, separation, and all the rest. We have, we lose the spontaneity, the joy, the bliss through this attachment controlling needs out of fear, out of identity with the conditioned realm. So this sense of this reality of nobody, nothing, then the conditions can operate. Maybe your personality blossoms rather than it kind of goes into into a totally disappears into a bland nothing. But out of this nothing, then the conditions can, can are spontaneous. That's how I use this word, spontaneity. It's not contrived, not, not made up by my desires and my fears. during these two weeks um, I encourage you to, to take it full advantage of this two weeks I don't mean it as a as a kind of uh, you know retreat that you have to you know, bind yourself to. It's an opportunity that's made available. <clears throat> and then just the formalities of it, the, 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 uh, you know, recognize, bring that into consciousness. The way you, you know, you hold to, you know, the way you emotionally react or hold this sense of formal retreat. Attitude of surrendering to it, of using it, you know, as a, as something that you reflect from rather than react against or, or just, uh, you know, blindly grasp. Then this rising up, you know, the putting yourself into it. half-hearted do if you live your life half-heartedly then you have half-hearted results so you know this is total you know the, you give yourself totally then you get total results
and encourage you to stay away from the computers and all the other distractions, <laughs> the noble silence to, to uh, you know, fill this conviviality with noble silence. And just to, 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 you know, to get a real feeling for what, what, how does noble silence really mean to you? You know, because we get this, we get a kind of biased view from certain ways we've held this concept or, or defined this concept on retreats, formal retreats. Now I'm now asking you to just look at the word, you know, noble and silence and, 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 and how to really, you know, begin to see that as a beautiful thing rather than a, a, a command placed on you during formal community retreats, which really means shut up. <laughs> and then we get into our shut up mode and we, we, we want to tell everybody to shut up if, they, if they're annoying us. So people can be really nasty on formal retreats. <clears throat> Develop really nasty mental state and then get really angry uh, when somebody's talking too loud or just disrupting you in some way. You get really angry with them. <clears throat> We're practicing noble silence. <laughs> and then, and there's nothing noble or silent about that state of mind, is there? <laughs> so we have the 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 usual routine, which say at eight thirty. Uh, this morning, sitting, walking, sitting, and then this afternoon at uh, 2. Then at the meal, you, you still can uh, either eat in the sala or, the, or take your food to your rooms, eat alone. It's up to you. And then they... Uh, on the one part, which is Wednesday, is the new moon day. Uh, the, the same goes, everybody, like everybody, to eat together in the sala. Um, Then we'll have our challenges in the middle of next week. The the Karuna monks start arriving from Switzerland, and, <laughs> and we'll see how you handle that. I mean, use what happens, you know. This, uh, You know, it's like learning to use the way it is rather than than uh, see things in terms of being, you know, 
getting in the way, obstructions. So the flow of life, we have very little control over what's going to happen, the contingencies that arise and they appear and disappear or whatever, you know. Who knows what's going to happen in the next two weeks? The unknown. But the awareness then, this encouraging this awareness for it, then what does happen belongs, isn't it? The way it is, rather than then holding to an idea of two week retreat's gotta be like this and then feeling angry or frustrated when when it doesn't uh, live up to the standard or work out the way that you imagine and want it to be. But you can see these, how we, we, you know, the way we grasp these things, the way we hold and, and we get, get ourselves all in a twist over the, the ideals that we hold to. <coughs> so, and then in the evenings, this evening all, all, uh, I feel I should give the first evening, then after uh, talk, and then the request some reflections from the monks, nuns. Share your wisdom with us. Speak from the present, from what you know, not from the theory, but from the present. You know, to trust in. And even if you, you know, the self-consciousness or the, or wanting to look good, wanting to say wise things, be aware of these, is how when you're put in a position, sitting up on a high seat and everybody looks at you and you, brings up this incredible self-consciousness, you know. I want to sound wise and I want to say things that people approve. Be aware of it, not to, not to feel guilty even about that. That's normal, isn't it? Not to look a fool and not to make a fool of yourself. These are very normal kind of human reactions. 